Welcome everyone to the Rise Science Podcast, the show about all things sleep science and performance. I'm Jeff Kahn, co-founder and CEO at Rise Science. If you've listened to this show before, or you know anything about me, you know that I'm on a mission to help people improve their lives through healthy sleep. For more information about how Rise can help you or your company, or if you just want to download our app, visit our website at risescience.com. On today's episode, I'm talking with Ron Needham. Ron is Senior Vice President of Sales and Marketing for North America at Manpower Group, the world's third largest staffing firm and ranked 141 on the Fortune 500. Ron has been a sales leader at some of the world's most successful companies, including Elcom, Dun & Bradstreet, SAP, Salesforce, and now Manpower Group. Being an executive at just one of these would be incredibly impressive. I'm eager to talk today to Ron about what inspired and influenced his career path, and why now, with all of the many things Ron could be focused on, sleep has become one of the top priorities for his team. Ron, welcome to the show. Absolutely my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. Looking forward to the conversation. So where I want to start is uh, your background is just so unique in that you've been operating at a high level in many different enterprise sales organizations. And so I'm actually curious to maybe start before that, which is your your educational background. And you studied political science, government, and journalism, and then got into sales and even are a decorated uh, veteran. And so tell me about that. Like, How did you go from that in school and that interest uh, to now running some of the largest sales organizations in the world? Sure. Yeah. So the foundation actually is the army and the irony is my appreciation for what you do for a living goes all the way back to never getting enough rest when you're digging foxholes <laughs> and uh carrying an m16 for 36 straight hours so so i've been wanting sleep for a long time <sighs> um but but that foundation um you know with less sarcasm was really important because it provided discipline and rigor um, in a life where I didn't have a lot of that at that age. So it gave, it gave me a sense of what I was able to do and I could do more than I believed. <laughs> um, and that was super important. Now to your question about, um, being a journalist or a political scientist, et cetera, I certainly had a passion for that, but what I discovered as an intern pretty quickly, especially broadcast journalism, uh, was that you were probably going to be hungry most of your life. Um, because unless you became Tom Brokaw or, you know, you know, one of the one of the top three folks, um, you know, you're working as an intern for four dollars an hour at three in the morning, writing the the information about Landon Brezhnev dying. Yeah. Right. So it, it didn't seem right. like a great balanced career decision. And so here I am in, in business. What you know, when you when you cycle back to, to that time in, in college and maybe even before that and inspirations you had growing up. Was there something that led you to being interested in really what I would call like communication in many ways, you know, really understanding political science, but journalism is a pretty specific interest. Absolutely. So I grew up in South Boston in the housing projects and um, well, people didn't have a lot of money. Uh, they were very passionate. They had a voice in Boston. They were very focused on politics. You know, you were focused on politics if you were, running a large business like Cabot in Boston, but you were pretty focused on politics if you were driving a bus or working for the MBTA in Southie. We had a strong, rich Irish heritage. <laughs> um, and people understood that with politics, you would get power and with power, you could help the community. 
And without a doubt, the communication part of that for anybody that's followed that world, you know, you had guys like Billy Bulger, you know, the Senate president that would run those St. Patrick's Day meetings with, you know, deft and humor and intelligence. So you could see the value of communications in everything that went on. And so is it fair to say you almost saw communications really as a survival mechanism in some way, that this is the way that we're going to, to produce prosperity for the community, that we need to communicate well, we need to band together, and we need to support the right ideas? That's absolutely correct. Couldn't have said it better myself. <laughs> and so that led to this fascination, you know, uh, studying this academically. And then the military, you said something pretty interesting, which is that it taught you something you didn't know about yourself, which is that you could do a lot more than you had previously thought. Tell me more about that. And was there a moment that you can, uh, or a story where you feel like, hmm, like there's something that really changed uh, after that? Oh, absolutely. I can, I can share two. One's my own and one's my daughter, Kate, uh, who also served in the, in the Navy. Um, so for me, you know, you, you, you're volunteering in America, right? You don't have to do this for a living. And when I went through all the testing and everything that you do, you have a lot of choices. What do you want to be if you're joining the Army? And I really wanted to be in the infantry. I wanted to dig foxholes. And (laughs) I wanted to do the hard thing because I wanted to see if I could do it, right? It seemed a little overwhelming at the time. But probably about halfway through boot camp, it became pretty evident that there was a, a methodology and a formula in everything they do. So sort of the verbal abuse you're getting from the drill instructors to the amount of exercise, the lack of sleep, et cetera, it's all with a purpose, right? It's, it's to really push you further than you realize physically, emotionally, mentally, and it works really well. So about halfway through, you sort of make or break. And for me, it was like, man, I can do a lot more as a, you know, a little tiny Irish guy with not a lot of muscle on me at the time. Um, I I was really pleased to discover what I could do. It gave me some rigor and discipline. My daughter, Kate, our oldest, um, you know, went to college, went to Penn State and all that stuff as well. And she was a little lost in what she wanted to do in life and joined the Navy and discovered the very same thing. Like it was such a joy to watch her come out of it going, wow, man, I'm capable of anything. Like, yeah, you really are. Right. So it's a great foundation. It seems like there's some magic there that I just have to wonder, you know, has that come into or played a part in how you lead today where, you know, it seems like the magical moment is in the military, you are, you realize within yourself that you're capable of so much more. What do you think goes into that? And and then have you seen that play out and how, how does it come into what you do, you know, today? Yeah. Everything from the way they structure themselves um, to the different, um, vehicles they put in front of you to motivate you and focus you. So structuring yourself, for example, um, you know, you have small groups of people with given tasks and given focus. And when I talk about it in sales, I talk about, uh, the front line in the military. So you dig foxholes and there's overlapping fire for lack of a better phrase, Mm -hmm. because God forbid something happens to the person next to you, you're still covering the area. You can protect and defend your, your folks and everybody behind you. Um, So it's not just linear. I focus here and this is my job. It's a bit like this. 
And so that's how we deploy a sales organization <laughs> in, in Manpower Group and in other businesses that I've supported. It's the same type of overlap in responsibilities. You have a primary focus, but expand the vision a little bit so you make sure that you're handling all of your business problems the right way. The other stuff, and we could talk about this forever, but um, even, uh, even the understanding of some of the basics, like uh, officers eat last, Yeah. right? So you, t- you take care of your team before you take care of yourself. That's the way you handle life in the military. And I've absolutely brought that to business. I think it sends a really important message to your organization. And then the reverse of that is be ready to lead. So if you're in the foxhole, and there's no nice way to say this, if you're in the foxhole and the lieutenant dies or the captain dies, you're in the moment. Somebody needs to step up and lead. Yeah. Well, that's part of the design. And it's the same thing here. So officers eating last is the design to make sure you're taking care of everybody. They're well-fed, they're well-nourished, they have the right ammunition. And then training them and, and helping them understand that they might have to be the one that leave immediately if something happens. So lots of great lessons, but those apply to business every day. Yeah, no, and it seems like it's almost for you, it's like probably so intuitive because that's how you trained and that's how you started to see, okay, here's how I become a high performer. Here's what it takes every day exactly. to, to, to do. So tell me sort of the back side of this. So, you know, now you've, you've been in the military for a number of years. You have some experience doing broadcast journalism. That isn't what you wanted to go, go down. You get into sales. When did you realize like, okay, this is the thing that I want to be building a career doing? So, um, there's only one way to say it. What I discovered, (laughs) what I discovered, because I was actually in operations at Dun & Bradstreet as a financial analyst. Okay. And you were heads down in numbers all day long. And I would look around the office because there were about 60 of us. And the salespeople were having more fun. They were making more money. They were enjoying their life. And I, I looked at that for a period of time and I started helping them. Like, let me go out and be the domain expert. Let me tell your client how we determine what we do when we look at credit or, or, you know, sales and marketing data, what have you. So I sort of became the expert that would support them, but I really discovered that I felt I could do it and I could do it well. And I really felt I'd have more fun to make a lot more money. And I was right in both regards. So you started as a contributor there, realizing you're having more fun, making more money, hopefully providing more customer value yeah. and then went into leadership Tell me a little bit about how that for you has evolved over time where, you know, it just really how you see, you know, how the world of sales has evolved from, you know, being done in Bradstreet, then, you know, at SAP, then at Salesforce, now at Manpower Group. Have you seen uh, the way that modern organizations are selling today, especially some of the ones that you've been at? How is that evolving and what what's now the focus? You know, when you're running such a big organization what are the things that you're really trying to get right these days? And, and how has that maybe shifted over your career? Um, well, it's certainly shifted a lot in the last six months, which we'll get to, um, <laughs> right? A lot of change there. Um, yep. But keeping some of those core things we discussed as I've gone along in my journey, I think were key. But also um, recognizing some of the gaps, right? So when I went into leadership uh, after being an individual contributor, I was very aware of the gaps, right? There weren't great onboarding programs. And depending on who your leader was determined how much you learned. You either were a self-starter for some teams and you learned it all on your own or you drowned. 
Um, or on other teams, you would see tremendous support out in the trenches, for lack of a better phrase. So I was looking at a varied uh, approach to leadership and said, I'm going to take pieces of what I think are most important to me as an individual contributor and, and stay true to those so that I have the strongest foundation of a team. Then fast forward, you know, to larger roles, and it really uh, became, uh, I think I, I saw, ironically, a podcast with maybe Warren Buffett and Bill Gates years ago, years ago. And they said, and it's held true, is the most important thing is to really prioritize in sequence. There's just so many business challenges coming at you all day long, whether they're client-based, operations-based, uh, human resource-based, whatever it is. You really have to narrow down to what are the three priorities that map to the strategy to make sure that we're successful as a business. And it's easy to get into 10. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 15, 20. It's just, you have a yeah, long list yeah. now. And you have to keep pushing back and you have to be careful how you articulate that to the organization. So they know that they're heard and you appreciate what they're excited about, but you only have room to do so many things well as people. So stick to your knitting, so to speak. Well, and one of the, I guess, two things strike me about that. One is the observation you had as a leader to say, uh, really going back to your to your army days, which is how do I eat last as the officer? How do I make sure my front line has the training they need, their ammunition, it, they're well stocked? You're thinking about, you were thinking about that when you became a leader, which is just fascinating. And it seems like that stuck with you to make sure that the front line is well supported. And then I think the second thing that really strikes me is, if the three priorities that map to the strategy become kind of your job as a leader in many ways is to figure out what those are, your job only gets harder as the organization that you're leading grows, right? Because now you have more mouths to feed, you have more frontline, you have more problems. And so do you have any wisdom that you've seen play out there where the organization is now bigger and you just have more problems? How do you you know, obviously you're appreciating the things that maybe you're not able to do, but the things that you decide to set as the, as those three, what have you found uh, there to be successful for you helping set that direction? That's such an interesting question. Um, one, you have to have a, a, a pretty strong network. I mean, informal that have faced similar situations or situations where it just provided a level of business acumen where you can bounce ideas off of somebody else. So even in this era of Zoom, um, I think it's super important to stay connected to that trusted network or that peer group, right? Because if I have, if I'm thinking of making a major shift in the business, somebody that I've been working with in trust probably has had a similar thought. So that's super important, a network outside of your business that you trust to tell you the truth, Right. Um, because the last thing you want is a world full of sycophants. You won't be, you won't be effective. You might feel great about yourself, but you won't, you won't be effective. Um, and then to a similar degree, a few people inside the organization, whether formal or informal as well. Beyond that, the people side of it is the obvious stuff, right? It is continuing to master whatever it is you do for a living all the time always reading about it, always learning it. This is a profession. And in sales, certainly in early on, a lot of folks don't treat it that way, right? A lot of people end up in sales as accidental salespeople. 
right? They got out of college with a degree. They didn't trans transfer into their chosen profession or so many reasons people end up in sales. And so it's really important to help them understand that, no, this is a science. There's a formula. There's a discipline associated with it. Um, it's not stakes and relationships and, you know, to get it right, to do a great job for your customer. Um, so that's sort of the other bit of it. Just constantly be educating yourself as if you're getting a, a PhD in sales leadership. Interesting. Interesting. So one is find people that have solved the problem before and, and ask them and get input. Do that externally, internally. And then secondly is you need to be consistently educating yourself and trying to get to the highest level possible. And if you can do those two things, the, the, the answers will emerge. Uh, quite often, I guess, is what you found. Yeah, you'll make fewer mistakes. And of course, that's the mistakes. third bit, which is expect to make mistakes, third leg of the stool, and and, and get the scar and learn yeah. from the mistake and don't make it twice. Yeah. Right? Move exactly. Just one time. Yeah. So I have to ask this question. We've talked about the importance of priority. Here you are running the, the sales organization in North America at, at Manpower Group. Um, with all the things you could be prioritizing with your team, if you know we were to survey most Fortune 1000 sales leaders, there'd be you know a small room of people that might say sleep is even in the top 20. For you, you immediately got this concept, and you know when I cold emailed you, you were like, "Okay, Jeff, we got to figure out how to get this in front of the team." So two questions: one, what what was it that led you to just so quickly sort of grok this concept that sleep should be something your team should care about? And then two, how did that map to the priorities of the business? And how are you thinking about uh, sort of, especially in the last six months with COVID, how that started to map to those top three and, and sort of why sleep? So those are, you know, two sure. related, but somewhat distinct. Yeah. So, so it goes all the way back to your opening questions around the military in a weird way it connects, right? Even though I made a couple of jokes about, you know, marching for 36 hours, <laughs> which you do, um, you know, health and well-being is number one, right, in the military, because if you don't have what you need, you won't be effective, you'll make mistakes, and there are serious consequences. You yep. didn't just lose a deal, you lost yep. a life. Yep. Um, and so the most important role, I would argue, in, in the infantry is the role of first sergeant. And he had two jobs, we called it beans and bullets. Huh. His job is to make sure you had beans, right, you had, food you were well fed cared for you did get rest when you could yeah. and then the proper ammunition and you translate that to business the ammunition is the training and having the materials and everything you need to be armed to do a good job yeah. but the the bean side of that equation is what really started worrying me think about how this thing went down in the last six months health and well-being quickly for me went to the top of concerns with my organization Right. We have a three step process for getting through this. One was uh, right the ship, right, get it steady, make sure the finances are in place and you can protect your business and your folks and your clients. The next step where we're now headed towards is is growth. Begin to grow from here, whether economically or emotionally or whatever, and they get back to thrive. That's the third stage that, that we want to hit next year. Well, the first stage when I looked around at what was going on, let's let's take 60 seconds and go through it. Let's revisit yeah. it, right? So yeah. in February, January, February, my team in Seattle had a problem very quickly, right? This this hit the US and Seattle first. 
yep. we had several very important large clients out there that we were taking care of. And now we need to do things unheard of in our industry in terms of moving people home to work from their homes with uh, gear technology that people don't want exposed. It gives them competitive advantage. We're looking and testing that stuff in advance, right? <laughs> and so now we have a massive health crisis starting and bleeding into an operational crisis, right? So, so there's a layer of stress that quickly came to my side of, of America, right? I'm outside of Manhattan. Yeah. And boom, we're hit here pretty hard in New Jersey, yeah. New York, Connecticut area. So now we've got a health crisis that's causing people stress. It's leading to an economic crisis as the market starts to fall apart in March. People start to lose their jobs, restaurants close, everything we know. So now you have a health crisis and an economic, potential economic crisis. This is all at the macro, not even at the individual yeah, even, level. Yeah. Now let's add in uh, George Floyd's murder and the, the strife associated with that and opening up discussions that we all needed to have. That's a tremendous amount of macro stress in society. Yeah. I start translating that down to the individuals in my org is around when you and I started speaking. Yeah. I have I have members of my team that are terrific but have five young kids at home. And they're suddenly working from home, trying to figure out how to care for them, how to educate them and do their job full time in an environment that is less than optimal. And I could give you dozens of those, right? And then you have team members whose spouses suddenly out of work and there's economic pressure for that family and uh, people that get sick. And then all the normal illnesses way beyond right. COVID. Right. right. This I very quickly, you sort of did the math and went, this is going to get uncomfortable fast. <laughs> And so you and I started chatting and said, yeah. we need to start doing things to support the team as quickly as possible. And Rise Science was sitting there at the absolute perfect moment for us to begin to look at how we help folks in a different way. Sorry for the long comment. But that's no, I mean, it, but but what what I'm hearing is, again, going back to what strikes me when you think about business is, again, going back to the fundamentals. How do we help the front line do the very best job that they can? And I love that image in my mind of, so it's the, it's beans and, uh, beans and bullets, beans and bullets. There we go. I was thinking beans and ammunition. I was like, that doesn't rhyme beans and bullets that just the notion of beans that obviously it's not just food, but everything that you need to be the best person that you can be when you show up to the front line armed with bullets, what are all the tactical things that you then need to be successful? The training, the collateral, uh, all of the marketing support that you're getting, uh, you know, when you're in the front line. So those two things are essential. And I think to me, when I talk with the sales leaders that tend to get rise more quickly, they see that both beans and bullets are necessary in the front line and that's they right. get it. They're like, yep. Oh yeah. Sleep. That's the, that's more essential in many ways than the food that our sales reps are eating. So yeah, this makes sense as a priority. So many, I would say the vast majority, you know, and it's hard to give you an exact number, just are looking at, do they have the bullets? And that's it. Mm. Beans, that's for the sales reps to figure out. That's for my frontline to figure out. Uh, and so I'm very curious, you know, when you think about this sort of initiative where you're helping your, your, your sales team with sleep, uh, why isn't that the frontline's responsibility? Why shouldn't they just go out on their own and figure out what they need to do to be at their top performing selves? Why is that your responsibility as a leader to help, you know, why do you, why do you need to do that? I guess is the question. 
Boy, that's a big question. Um, there's so many facets of it, not, you know, not the least of which is, does that individual, are they far enough along on their business journey, in their evol- evolution, pardon me, to even recognize that that's a gap? Or are they so in the moment trying to do a great job and trying to deal with every stress I just laid out? Is that individual with five children trying to balance 27 things and they're, you know, a type A personality wanting to solve problems, they may not have the capacity or the experience to step back and say, hang on a minute. Yeah. Am I operating suboptimally? Is there some things I should do to take care of myself? Because it's good for me, it's good for my family, and it's good for business. And I think when you have type A go-getters in their late 20s and young 30s, they tend not to focus on themselves because they just want to do a great job and they really want to make them proud. They really want their customer to be happy. And they're wonderful attributes. And that's why leaders are responsible to step back and say, hang on a minute, it's something point that wonderful person is going to have a problem it's my job to help them interesting. and this is one of those things interesting one of the things that strikes me there there's an amazing essay um, by probably one of the foremost thinkers on on startups and just generating new new business ideas a guy named paul graham just a brilliant thinker and i'll send you the essay after our conversation and he writes an article called schlep blindness And the idea is that when you're just going through day-to-day, like you said, focus on the moment, it's incredibly easy. And he walks through a lot of the logic about why it's so easy to sometimes forget how much uh, turmoil or pain or even just uh, annoyance of doing things, you know, every day. That you forget these big opportunities that might be looming right in front of you because you're so focused on the day-to-day. And what he argues is, you know, that's what startups should be looking at. Where are those areas that are, you know, what, where is all the schlepping happening? And how do you really tune into that and sensitize yourself to it? Um, but, I mean, just an example at Rise, you know, Nick, who you know, obviously, who runs customer success, had been using a, a, a laptop that, you know, it was running okay. And for him, it was fine. And he was pulling reports and everything was okay. And I just said, Nick, you're running a laptop from 2016. I'm going to get you a new MacBook and Nick's like, no, 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 Jeff, I'm fine. Like, look, if it affected my productivity, I would let you know. And I said, all right, Nick, well, I'm going to get it to you anyway. And you tell me if it works well. And if it doesn't, we can return it. And so he's like, okay, fine. So he gets the new laptop, he sets it up and he's just like, wow, I just didn't realize yeah. how much of an impact just loading that chart 10% faster made. And, you know, it's just to your point, it's so easy to get caught up in the day to day that you can sometimes forget what's missing and that the role that a leader plays is in being able to see those things. I mean, in many ways, it's a a good teacher who's able to figure out the question that you might not know enough to even know to ask. Um, And those teachers are able to guide you there. And so um, that makes a ton of sense to me. So with the two minutes we've got left, I have to ask the question that we ask everyone on the show. And, you know, we want to make this actionable if possible. Uh, But although it doesn't have to be, it can be theoretical, it can be a thinking tool. But is there one thing that you've done? um, And I'm sure there's many, but one that comes to mind that as you look at how you structure your day or how you plan, how you think about being an effective leader in person, um, is there one thing that you've done that you think is just most interesting that you might want to share with the folks listening? Yeah, it's I'll actually connect it to your app, right? So it's... um, you're not unabashedly trying to, you know, push your app, <laughs> hey, well, but I'll be I'll candid. Take it. I'll candid. Take it. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Um, it's sleep debt. Huh. And and so in the middle of all this, when you and I first started chatting, 
as I mentioned to you then, I too was pretty tired, yeah. right? And because yeah. I'm laying in bed and you've got all, everything I just outlined is stress you have in your own life with your own family, right? Um, and equally, there's, I don't know how else you would say it, you have this tremendous weight on your shoulders. There are a lot of people counting on you to get it right, to protect their families and their jobs. Um, yeah. In their careers. It's super important if you actually care. Uh, yeah. And so that leads to a lot of sleepless nights. And so going through the app, just getting something that moved from intuition to reality was looking at the sleep debt in you know, maybe the first week going, I've got to attack it, right? There's no downside yeah. to attacking this. I've got to take some of the guidance I'm getting here and let's see what the output is. And it, and it made a difference because then you're you're more aware you're you're um you know when you things become a lot more tense as they have been for five or six months you're calm and you're cool and you're still thinking things through rather than getting worn down by the troubles um so for me in this environment and that's probably true for the next year jeff is like you got to take your own temperature whether that's sleep debt for me or other things yeah step back and make sure you're doing some stuff to keep your head right and we'll maybe leave it on this thought, but um, I finished Ra- Radical Candor uh, a couple months ago and probably, I mean, a lot of great findings from the book, but I think one of the big takeaways for me, you know, just quick update on that book. So Kim Scott wrote it. She's a big manager at Google, uh, sort of most recently, but also at Apple. And she taught a lot of the new manager training at Apple. And so the big insight uh, that I found so interesting, and you're pointing it here, is that to lead well, you need to start with yourself. And mm. it sounds cliche, but put on your own oxygen mask. And you need to put on your own before you can put on those of your, you know, even of your kids. And, you know, it's a stark image of a plane, you know, uh, mm. not going through through good times and you're putting on that own, your own oxygen mask, but taking your own temperature. And if, you know, sleep debt is a great metric to do that. Um, but they're, they're starting with that principle, I think is so powerful. And cause you're right. I, I think if you, once you lose your own oxygen, it becomes harder to, to, to operate in, in hard environments. So, um, Agree. really, really fascinating stuff. But anyway, this has been so much fun for me, Ron, and, and I think really useful and, um, just to hear your career, obviously, thank you for what you've done for, for our country. And then obviously to to the many folks that you lead that will be great leaders because of the example that you've set. Uh, just happy to, to to be able to be doing business with you and, and uh, hopefully for, for years to come. Uh, it's It's been a great conversation. Same here. I've gotten wonderful feedback. We do our surveys and all that <laughs> stuff. And uh, I appreciate us finding one another. I, I think it's good for my business as well. Um, and that's coming from the mouths of the folks uh, that work in my organization. So appreciate it. Wow, that that makes makes all of our work meaningful. That's that's what we get up and and, and come to work for. So appreciate that, and um, looking forward to the next conversation. Sounds good. Have an awesome week. <laughs> you too. See you, Ron. See you. To learn more about how we work with sales organizations to drive measurable improvements in revenue, productivity, and well-being, head over to our website at risescience.com. Now, if you're an individual interested in using sleep to get more out of your day, just have more energy, and all of the other good things that Ron and I talked about, you can download our app, Rise, on any app store, iOS, or Android. You can also email me at jeff at risescience.com to discuss anything you heard on the show today or to nominate a great guest. We'd love to hear from you. 
The Rise Science Podcast is produced by Candace Kahn and Lola Feiger. Music in today's episode is by Blue Dot Sessions, and thanks to the entire Rise Science team for their help with writing and research. I'm Jeff Kahn. I'll talk to you next time. Sleep well.